Welcome to another edition of American Bankruptcy Institute Podcasts. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. Home foreclosures are at historic highs in the United States and show no signs of abating in the weak economic recovery. An alarming number of families are underwater in homes they can't afford and can't sell. Government programs designed to help people in their homes through voluntary loan modifications have failed. Meanwhile, serious deficiencies in the foreclosure process have emerged, slowing further the housing market's needed reset. The bankruptcy process, particularly in Chapter 13, traditionally has been seen as having some potential to provide a bit of relief by allowing debtors to stretch out past due amounts over the life of a repayment plan or allowing second liens to be stripped off the secured debt. But in today's extreme environment, this is not enough, nor is it enough to simply reduce the loan's interest rate. Legislation to permit primary residential mortgage modification failed to pass in the last Congress, and there's little chance for it soon by a change in the bankruptcy code. In 2009, the bankruptcy courts for the districts of Rhode Island and the Southern District of New York began their own loss mitigation programs whereby the court could order a homeowner debtor and a loan servicer to try in good faith to negotiate a settlement that would be preferable to foreclosure for all parties. Under these programs, the servicer is required to provide a negotiator with the authority to modify and or settle. There is no requirement that the parties reach a settlement, and all settlements under the loss mitigation programs are consensual. With us today to discuss her court's experience with loss mitigation is Judge Cecilia Morris, a bankruptcy judge from the Southern District of New York, based in Poughkeepsie. Judge Morris, welcome to ABI Podcast. Oh, Sam, it's del- I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, let's um, start with uh, your own court's experience. How did the court uh, come to decide to create uh, this rule? What were their reasons and, and maybe what were the hoped for outcomes at the outset? I think that's an interesting story. Basically, it's a program. And what happened was an attorney for a secured creditor approached me, a local attorney for a secured creditor approached me, asking me that they would like to start meeting with debtors on an individual basis at the first meeting of creditors. When she said it, I said, I'd like for you to talk to me and, and brought in Judge Marty Glenn. So Judge Glenn and I sat down and talked with them. And what we discovered was they wanted to choose, pick and choose which debtor they would like to talk to. And we said, you can't do that. If you offer it to one, you've got to at least offer it to everyone. So we followed our mediation rules and put it in, and we basically began to call it mediation without a mediator. And one of the things that we had all been observing and what many, many judges in the nation have observed is there stands the debtor saying, I have tried my best to communicate with this secured creditor. I can't get anyone on the phone that will answer my questions. I understand there's some programs. I also understand that my mortgage is readjusted and I cannot afford it. I can't afford something, but I can't afford this. 
On the other side, we would have the secured creditor standing there saying, we have sent them information and they haven't responded. All this program does is put those two parties together. So it was simply implemented to facilitate communication between the parties and to make sure efforts to save a home loan didn't get lost in voicemails or didn't get lost in emails or didn't get lost in snail mail. And that was the genesis of the beginning of this program. One thing to think about, too, is the Southern District of New York put this in place in January of 2009, coming off of that horrible year of 2008. So we started this at the very beginning. The other thing that we became aware of and the creditors were aware of is often the debtors have predatory foreclosure rescue scams coming toward them in many, many ways. So this was a attempt to get the debtor a renegotiated loan and to get the secured lender a complying payable loan. That was our goal. You said you started the program in in January '09, and did it uh, was it established by uh, a, a local rule? And if so. What was the court's legal authority to adopt a rule? Is it Section 105 or is it something else? Well, it was established by an administrative order, not a local rule. But we didn't just use 105. I think most of the judges in the Southern District of New York, if not all of us, understand that 105 does not stand alone or we don't like it to stand alone. We always try to read it within the bankruptcy code and the court's power to employ its equitable powers are always exercised with a separate provision of the bankruptcy code. So we adopted the loss mitigation program using Section 105, the provisions of the code concerning the Chapter 7 debtor's obligation to enter reaffirmation agreements with respect to secured debts, and the Chapter 13's debtors right to use property of the estate and incur new debt under sections 363 and 364. We also had the federal rules of bankruptcy procedure that authorized the loss mitigation program. We used approved settlements under 9019 and 9014 allows the court to apply status conferences under 7016 to contested matters and lift stay motions, claims objection, and contested confirmation. And since this is a contested matter within the debtor's home loan, we were able to use those those statutes and those rules. And even though a Chapter 7 debtor may ride through on a home loan in in the Second Circuit, they must be current to exercise this option. So even if they are current, engaging in loss mitigation helps the debtor determine whether they personally should recommit to the home loan or just pay their mortgages month to month and hope they don't default in the future. The option to enter into a loan modification helps the debtor make the decision to remain personally liable on the debt and protects them in case of their income decreases in the future. And of course, all federal judges have inherent power to control their docket. The increase in filings by debtors struggling to save their homes from foreclosures has swamped most 
consumer bankruptcy judges' calendars with lift stay motions, claims objection, and contested confirmation hearings. So disputes over payment histories, amounts due, and home values can take months to resolve. And that's a tremendous cost to the debtor and creditor and basically bogs the docket. Right. So the loss mitigation program essentially is a case management tool that allows the parties to say what they really want. They can have a loan modification. They can have a surrender. And all of it in plain language instead of trying to compel an undisclosed result from traditional bankruptcy litigation. I can give you an example. Uh, Before the loss mitigation program was created, a debtor filed an adversary proceeding attacking the creditor standing. I had many months and multiple hearings on this only to really find out that all he wanted was a modification, Mm -hmm. and he got it. Mm -hmm. So it was the right thing at the right time. Debtors were frustrated because they couldn't talk to the secured lenders. The secured lenders were watching their portfolios just diminish before their eyes. This gives a performing loan with someone that has gone through the bankruptcy and hopefully has gotten other debts forgiven at a reduced interest rate so that they can perform. Right. So that's the goal. Right. So breaking through those uh, servicer roadblocks uh, uh, effectuates getting sort of timely answers uh, for both sides. Exactly. Exactly. That was the key to this whole thing. Do the creditors also want this? And what we discovered was not only do they want it, they have embraced it. At least in the Southern District, they have embraced mm-hmm. it. Mechanically, how does, the, how does the process start? What happens once a debtor uh, who's before the bankruptcy court and has a housing problem uh, requests loan mitigation? Um, and then what happens uh, mechanically from there? Well, the first thing is in a Chapter 13, they can just simply check a box that says they would like to uh, engage in loss mitigation. And in Chapter 7, they have to file a motion requesting loss mitigation. The important part of this is the creditor must be served, and the creditor has about a two-week time period to object. And we have had objections. And I think we've had about 50 or so of those objections sustained. And the reason a creditor might object is that they've already had a loan modification Mm -hmm. and they're not performing, or this debtor has filed five times and it's pretty obvious that they're trying to just prolong a foreclosure. Those are some of the reasons why we deny it. Mm-hmm. But then the order is entered, and once the order is entered, it's the debtor's and the debtor's attorney's responsibility to make sure the order is served properly. The request has to be served, but then they need to make sure that the order is served. Once that's done, then there are two or three ways to get in touch with the secured creditors. There's a portal that many of the servicers are using. It's called the DMM portal, where many people can file all their documentation, all their financial work, and one of the servicers will pick it up. There's also, they can wait for a package, and sometimes these packages come upon the request, not on the order, because the secured creditor wants to move this along as quickly as possible. 
And then it's a matter of the debtor getting all the financial information. For instance, they have to give them the ability to do a check on the income tax filings Mm -hmm. instead of just a copy of the income tax returns. They want a copy of the income tax returns, but the secured creditor wants to check that they actually were filed. They have to send a letter saying that they are in need of this loss mitigation. So there's certain things that must be done, and so they want the documentation given. So we've got the motion, we've got the order, and then we get the package from the debtor saying that that they've given the secured creditor everything the secured creditor needs to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It then goes to the secured creditor, um, and within about 45 days, there's an answer back saying whether or not they think this debtor will qualify. Or the other side is there's no way this debtor qualifies. The mm-hmm. house is too big. The house is too expensive. The debtor doesn't have enough income. The debtor has too much income. In reality, they don't meet the standards that you need to meet to modify the loan because they can make the payments. The beauty of this for a judge is there becomes an acceptance then, an acceptance from the secured creditor and from the debtor about what needs to be done in this particular case. The loan can be modified. The loan can't be modified. The debtor accepts it. I have one of those stories where there was a, a young woman in front of me with her two young daughters standing there. And the woman was a widow. And sure enough, the bank even came to court. They spent most of the day negotiating. They finally came into the court and said, the debtor's attorney came in and said, Your Honor, we've tried very hard, and I want to commend the secured creditor on this, but this uh, debtor is unable to afford this mortgage. And with her was her young child. She starts to cry. The young child h- hugs her. There's not a dry eye in the courtroom, mm-hmm. including the secured creditor's attorney. And so I then said, well, are we then talking about surrender of the home? With that, both the secured creditor's attorney and the debtor's attorney jerked their heads up at me and in unison said, no, we're going to let it go through foreclosure so that this woman has time to build up enough of a nest egg to move into rental property. Mm-hmm. She had been spending so much of her money trying to salvage this loan and salvage this home that she didn't have the assets to even move. As a judge, that was an incredible success story no matter how sad it is because this woman came to the conclusion and understood that she couldn't stay where she was and they worked out a way for her to move to the next stage in her life the next financial stage in her life you can't tell it better than that right right uh, you, you said that uh, the secured creditors have uh, largely embraced uh, the process, and that story certainly uh, illustrates it. Are there uh, statistics or or data um, with respect to loss mitigation so far in your court in, in terms of the number of, of outcomes, even even rough data on how many modifications have been 
uh, granted, and and then and then what and then what happens uh, uh, post uh, post modification. At this moment, we've had approximately 1,800 cases involved in loss mitigation. 450 of those, and again, these are rough, mm-hmm. uh, have resulted in loan modification. About 650 are still pending. The rest have been terminated in one way or another. Either the debtor comes in and says, there are two or three ways it gets terminated. The debtor says, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do it. The creditor comes in and says, as I told, you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, they don't qualify, or the debtor drops off the face of the earth to their lawyer, and the lawyer doesn't have any information. So the rest are sort of hanging out there. One of the other sides of this is we've often cleared up title. We've had people in here that have been paying the mortgage for years only to find out that they didn't own the property. The most glaring one was it was in the name of his mother who had deceased. Mm-hmm. And um, so when they came to modify the loan, it was, you don't own the property, we can't modify the loan. We kept it here until he could go get back to court and get the probate done so that he could own the home. So those are the kinds of things that come out during this. So that's about the success rate we've had. And uh, while it seems to be such a small number, that's pretty good. We're talking about the Southern District of New York, which is not a huge Chapter 13 filing area. We have a pretty generous equity exemption in New York State. Mm -hmm. So Chapter 7 is a more attractive way for a lot of the debtors in New York. And we we do use this in Chapter 7, but in in Chapter 13 is where we find that it has its most... uh, usage. Mm-hmm. Is there any um, uh, data to tell us w- what happens, say, to those 450 uh, modifications that have already gone through the system in terms of, you know, whether they've, uh, you know, whether they've stuck? We are working on that right now. We've, uh, there are a couple of professors that are beginning to do that next follow-up because we have had a few, now I can't say a tremendous number, but a few list A motions after mm-hmm. the modifications. So we're anxious to see about them and find out what went on okay. and see if, I think your word stick is a good word. There hasn't been follow-up. Again, this is just an 09, so we're just in you know the middle of 11. We're just now beginning to see some of those list A motions. Right, right. And not many. But we're, it's enough. Well, the first one caught our attention, and we're beginning to see some. Not dramatic, but mm-hmm. some. And mainly, I think, if it can be a successful bankruptcy, this is a perfect convergence. You're getting some forgiveness of debt on your just your consumer debt, and then your, you have your home loan redone, so this is the true example of a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Now, when the program uh, first uh, launched, um, and, and other courts have also um, uh, begun to uh, experiment with it, you know, as well, I believe Vermont and and, and some others, um, there were reports of some resistance from servicers and secured lenders and the like. Did you have any? Uh, experience any resistance uh, from those communities in the New York experience? None whatsoever. Again, ours 
came from the creditors. The creditors came to us and asked for this. This was not the debtor's attorney sitting down and asking. It was the creditors. The And, and let me just be a little more specific. It was the attorneys representing the creditors. Mm-hmm. And I think what we were seeing was they were truly representing their constituency. They were saying foreclosure is long and timely. We need to see if we can't, from those foreclosures, find the ones that really will be able to afford a house granted at a reduced interest rate. Let me explain what normally happens. Normally happens the interest rate is reduced and the arrearage is tucked on to the end of the term. Instead of a 30-year term, it's a 40-year term at a interest rate from 2 to 5%. And everyone says, well, on these, the secured creditor is not going to get what they are entitled to. Well, they do over time because they're still entitled to that principal amount. Now, we have seen some forgiveness. We've seen up to 160000 in principal forgiven. Obviously, that was not a performing loan and had not been performing, and they're trying everything in their in their ability as a secured lender to make it a performing loan. So that's the kind of loan modifications we've seen. As to our acceptance from the creditors community, we have had nothing but tremendous, tremendous acceptance. The creditors community, even a, a debtor's attorney will get up and say, Your Honor, I have a um, a loan here with a particular creditor, and I can't seem to get their attention. I can't even get the package to find out how I'm supposed to file this or what they want. Instantly, you will hear around the room, well, I, I represent them at times. I represent them at times. Uh, send me an email, email with the property description, and we'll see if you can't if we can't get in touch with them. Sure enough, next time they come up, they'll come up. They'll say, I want to thank lawyer so-and-so for making sure that they got me in touch with the right people. We are now in the process of loss mitigation. It does take some judicial time, but the result is quite dramatic, I think. And it's to me, it's worth the judicial time. Right. Well, it's uh, certainly been a very positive uh, experience uh, in, in your court, and and uh, and in also in the others that have um, that have some uh, experience. So we we thank you, Judge Morris, for your time and discussing this uh, possibly significant option for homeowners uh, in bankruptcy. Thanks very much for sharing it. Oh, thank you, Sam. As a judge, and I think any judge in the country can relate to this, when you have attorneys standing in front of you that are that both sides are pleased with what has just occurred. It makes the whole experience just, uh, you know, a little bit better for everybody. And I have had that often where the secured creditor's attorney and the debtor's attorney are standing there saying, we've reached an agreement, Your Honor. We've reached an agreement, Your Honor. And I, it's it's been really rewarding in that sense. So... Thank you, Sam. You bet. Music to the ears of the judge. We have reached an agreement. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Very much. Well, that's our show for today. A reminder to our loyal uh, listeners, you can listen to or download 
about 100 podcasts uh, from our website at abi.org. And until next time, for ABI Podcasts, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.